Hello. Uh, just, it's, it's me again. Uh, no, normally what we do, <laughs> normally what we do as a church is uh, someone hosts the whole meeting and then someone else preaches. We really value uh, our good first working in team. Uh, the person who was supposed to host uh, today sadly got sick yesterday. Uh, so last minute I've had to jump in. Um, but yeah, good. Okay, if you have uh, got your Bibles, you can open them. As I said earlier, we are going to be continuing Daniel chapter 2. We are going to be looking at today. Is it okay if I take that, Daniel, and do it myself? Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's wonderful. It's just pressing the button. It's just pressing it, right? Yeah, good. Should be able to manage that. A few years ago... Uh, uh, me and the boys and, and Nina got to know someone who got, became quite close to us, uh, and, but unfortunately isn't with us any longer. Had big dreams and big hopes, uh, but she didn't make it. This is Selma. Now, Selma was quite, quite the family friend. We had, we had, as I said, big hopes, big dreams. We spent hours. It started off as like the boys outside doing like a little snowman. It ended up. It ended with me like basically pushing the boys out of the way and like sculpting it and like boys sit over there while I sort of do this masterwork. Got the hair from like uh, like a, a, a plant just um, that, that, that was dying. And then this is Selma in the night, which you probably can't see, but she takes on a completely different sort of like character. Comes like some sort of like abominable snowman, like scary. Uh, I haven't been able to sleep for quite a few <laughs> few nights after seeing that photo. Um, but we we loved as a family building um, building snowman, uh, the snowman Selma. But the rea- the reality is, as anyone who has ever done that before, is that a couple of days later, Selma heartbreakingly was no more. She was just a pile. She survived a while as a little pile, but then. She completely disappeared. She was no more. And as we get to Daniel chapter 2, what happens is that the curtains are being drawn back, if you like, on the reign of a very powerful man, King Nebuchadnezzar, and, and a man who ruled over the greatest empire of the world. And and. and and the curtain gets pulled back to display the reality of no matter how impressive the king's reign was or the Babylonian empire was, no matter how stable it looked, no matter how permanent it looked, uh, what happens as we read Daniel 2 is the curtain gets drawn back and actually we see the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar is really nothing more than a snowman, here today, gone tomorrow. And we find, uh, as we get to uh, Daniel chapter 2, as we start off reading halfway through, before we get there, that we, we, fi- we find this, this king who is powerful and great, but he is very, very troubled. He is in a bad place. He is stressed. He is upset. He is not able to sleep. And you think, how can that be? For a king who has everything he could ever wish for, he's had a bad dream. And it's stressed him out. And it's made him upset. And it's made him worried. Now, dreams can be great. 
I'm sure lots of us have had amazing dreams where we kind of we just don't want them to end. Like you know, you've scored a hat trick in the in the World Cup final, and you're kind of just about to lift up the trophy, and then I have like Freddie, like, Dad, I wet myself. He's like, No, go away. I want to continue this dream. It was amazing. We've we all had dreams that are like amazing and really fun, and I assume we've probably all had dreams as well that are like quite scary, and you're looking forward to waking up from them. I remember as a child, I don't get it anymore, but the falling dream. You know, were you just falling? Anyone else had that dream? Were you just falling, falling, falling? Has anyone ever hit the ground? No. You squash. <laughs> you wake up very flat. Um, but dreams can be great. They can be, obviously, really, actually quite scary. Um, and what happens here is that the king has had a bad dream. He's had a scary dream. He's had something that's keeping him up, something that he's really worried about. And so what he does is he calls a group of wise men, men who are able to tell the king what his dream would mean so that he can then once again get back to his place of rest. And you can kind of imagine the wise men as they're they're making their way to the king's courts and they're kind of talking to each other. They've maybe, I don't know, got their tarot cards. They've got all the stuff out that they need and talking to each other saying, okay, this is It's payday. I wonder what bit of land the king is going to give us as we sort of calm all his fears and tell him what his dream was about. And as they get into the king's presence and they kind of say, okay, king, we're here. We've kind of laid out all our cards. We'll tell you what the moon means. We'll tell you what the star means. We'll tell you what this means, what that means. As they do that, the king says, do you know what? Rather than me telling you my dream, I want you to tell me my dream. And then I want you to interpret it. And you can just imagine, can't you, like like the looks, the sideways glances as the wise men realize that they're on their way to being found out. They're the charlatans, that they don't really have the access that they want the king to think they do. And they're, no, no, come on, king, come on, king. Tell us a dream. We will tell you the interpretation. The king's, no, no, not interested in that. You tell me the dream, you tell me the interpretation, and just to add something that would encourage you, if you do not tell me the dream and the interpretation, we will have you cut up into small pieces. And not only that, but we will, all your houses, we will knock down, we will be make, we'll make them into rubble. And, and not just you guys here, but every wise man over the empire. It's not an ideal situation. It's an impossible situation. Being able to tell someone, okay, this is the dream that you had, this is the interpretation, with the pressure of, if you get it wrong, you're going to be cut into many small pieces made into chicken nuggets. It's not ideal. So, verse 12 of chapter 2, we will read from. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious when they couldn't tell him, of course. And he commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them, because they were part of the wise men. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. 
And Daniel went in and requested that the king appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known. Sorry, I should have done that. Uh, made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night, and Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Just, uh, we're going to continue reading, but I just wanted to pause there for a minute and notice the priority that Daniel has for two things, prayer and praise. Now, Daniel, he finds himself really in an extremely difficult situation, I think we could all agree. He has, he has boldly stood up for all the wise men of the empire, and he has said, I don't know the dream, but take me to the king, though, and I can tell him. Incredible courage, but he's put himself in an incredibly, incredibly dangerous position. And how he responds to that, as he finds out what he needs to do, is he goes to his, his friends, his, his student friends, because remember, at this time, they're probably around the age of 18, still studying to become a Babylonian. They, he goes to them, and he says, guys, we have a problem. And the first thing that they do is they pray. And it's really important that we understand that that we are a people who pray, that when, that when life's challenges and difficulties get to us, that we, that we don't sort of rush and try and fix everything, but we come before God and say, God, break through. God, we come to you, a God who is sovereign, who is all-powerful, because that's what prayer does, isn't it? It's a, pr- prayer comes to a sovereign God and says, you can do it. I can't do it. Daniel, I can't do it. I don't know the king's dream. But you can do it. And so it acknowledges, prayer acknowledges a God who is powerful, a God who is sovereign, a God who can. And as um, they receive the dream and the interpretation, that prayer turns to praise. They enjoy God for his goodness. They worship him. And we read this incredible scripture that we started off church with, Blessed be the God of our fathers. You are good. You are good. And it's this incredible like, outburst of praise because, again, they see the goodness of God. And, again, that's, for us as a church, we want to be a people who praise. I thought the team, I thought we all sort of led, led ourselves so well today during worship as we praise God. We want to praise him. Why? Because he has done great things. And so we're a people who praise. We're people who, even in these situations where things look really, really difficult... And I don't know what your life is like at the moment, but those who are going through challenges and difficulties, I want to encourage you, even in those moments, praise. Acknowledge who God is. Because if prayer says you can do it, praise is like, you've done it. You've conquered death. You're the way, the truth, and the life. You've welcomed us in. You've, you've won the victory. That's what praise does. It says, you've done it. Thank you, Jesus. And so he prays, and they, um, and, and they pray, and they praise. Verse 24. Now, I've done myself a bit of a mischief here. There we go. We're good. Therefore, someone shout when it, we run out here. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. 
Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise man, no enchanter, no magician, no astrologer, no one can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. Again, just notice here Daniel's humility. If there was ever a moment to point a little bit to yourself, this is the moment. None of the wise men, old wise men, Babylonian sort of heritage, none of them know this dream. Daniel, this kind of like young, upstart, 18-year-old kid, brought out of Jerusalem, he knows what the king needs to know. The dream and the interpretation. If there is ever a moment for Daniel to say, look at me, this is the moment. And there's moments when God raises us up. Because God gives us gifts. God's gifted each one of us differently. And there's moments when he raises us up. And it's very, very tempting in those moments to say, look at me. I think you all want to just listen to this. This is pretty impressive here. And it's very tempting to do that with our humanly flesh urges. Daniel, what does he do? He kind of like hides and he says, God has shown me. This is nothing to do with me. This is all to do of God. And us, as a people, as, I want to encourage you, step out in your gifting. I really do believe that. We, we're a body, we're, we're a family. God is just, he, he, he gifts the church in different ways. And we want to encourage you to, to run with the gifting that God has called you. We want to be a church that, as much as possible, makes places place and space for each other's gifting, but we don't do it so that we can be impressive. We do it so he can be impressive. We always point to God. We always say, it's your gifting in me, God. Yeah, but it's all about you. And Daniel is so good at just being humble, just saying, it's all God. It's all, God. It's all gift. It's all from you, God. Let's read on. Uh, verse 31. You saw, O king, so this is the dream and the interpretation. Thank you, Maria. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold, all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors, became like nothing. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. 
Now we will tell you its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory, and to whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong, Iron, but, but because iron breaks to pieces, and because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things, and like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all of these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage. But they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that, a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. This dream, it is certain, and its interpretations are Sure. Wow. 18-year-old kid in front of the king who has all power, glory, and is able to speak such truth. It is pretty, pretty impressive. I wonder if you've ever wanted to know something, and then as soon as you've found out, you've been like, okay, I really didn't want to actually know that. kind of wish I could forget that now. I imagine that's a bit of a moment that's happening for Daniel here. You've kind of, you've received this dream you've received this interpretation which says basically to the king that your kingdom is not going to last forever. I mean, what do you say in that moment? Like seriously, put, him in, put yourself, go into Daniel's feet for a minute, his shoes. What do you say to the almighty king, greatest empire in the earth, your, ki- uh, your kingdom, you watched the football last weekend? Like, like what would you say? Like, it'd be so tempting to just like completely fudge it. And again, we need to hear here, Daniel is good at speaking the truth in love. He's willing to absolutely, I'm sure, step out of his comfort zone because he feels that God has got something for him to share with the king. And you can imagine him, Daniel, as, as he kind of, as he, he's before the king and you've got Arioch, the guy who's been sent to kill all the wise men, just in the corner, like sharpening his knife on on a bit of stone. And Daniel is there, like, what do I say? As your majesty was lying there, and then comes out with a dream, comes out with the interpretation. We have this saying in English, which is this, do not miss the forest for the trees. And so when we're, when we're looking at pieces of Scripture like this, there's this dream about um, this, this statue and there's a head of gold and, and silver and bronze and iron and clay. And we're sort of thinking, okay, that's an interesting picture. What, what, what is happening 
here. What I want to encourage us not to do is to miss the forest for the trees. And what that means is let's not focus on necessarily the small things, but see what the bigger picture of the dream is saying altogether. Because in scripture like this, it's very easy for us just to start thinking <laughs> too much. What does this bit of the statue mean? What does that bit of the statue mean? Who, who does that represent? Is that, um, is that someone who is alive today? Is that someone who is going to be coming? What city is that? What nation is that? What time is that? And many people have fallen short by saying, okay, well, we predict that the world is going to end in 1978 on this day. That's when Jesus is going to return. And they do that by looking at scriptures like this. And instead of looking at the forest, they go in to look at the tree, and they just go too deep, and they just try and work out their own sort of thing. It's important that we don't do that, that we focus on the big picture of this dream. We focus on the forest, and the forest picture of this dream, the, the big picture of this dream is this. Kingdoms will come, and kingdoms will go. But the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, will be established forever. This is the big picture of this dream. Okay, so let's not worry too much about the trees. We'll look at them, but let's not worry too much about that because the big picture is this. Kingdoms will come, kingdoms will go, but God's kingdom will be established and will grow and will fill the whole earth. Amen. Every other kingdom is just a snowman. They maybe look impressive. They maybe look like nighttime Selma, quite scary. Uh, joking aside, there's a very, like, with the rise and fall of kingdom, there's, there's horrific stories. We know that only too well, sadly. But at the end of the day, they're just snowmen. God's kingdom will go on forever. And so Daniel sort of explains the dream. He says, he says to Nebuchadnezzar, okay, well, your kingdom is, is, is the head of gold. And we, we read that in the scripture. Your kingdom is the head of gold, and there will be other kingdoms that come after you. Your kingdom is not going to survive, is what Daniel is saying. And in fact, as we get to Daniel 5, even halfway through this book, we find that the Babylonian kingdom gets destroyed and gets taken over by the Medo-Persian kingdom, Darius and Cyrus lead the Medo-Persians, and they literally, and so we'll, be, we'll get onto that in Daniel chapter 5, as the writing's on the wall, and the kingdom falls, and the Medo-Persians come in. So a lot of people would say that the chest of silver is the Medo-Persian empires. Traditionally, that's what most people would say. And then people would look at the bronze as being uh, the Greeks, Alexander the Great, because Medo-Persians, were they were defeated, and then Alexander the Great, and the Greeks come in, and then after them, it's the Roman Empire, and people say, well, that's, that's the iron and the clay, and, and the Roman Empire wasn't a super pure empire, there was many different sort of views, and, and there's lots of stuff going on there, and so it's the iron and clay together, and they were mixed, they kind of were very strong and big, but at the same time, they were quite brittle, that's what people perhaps say is a, the traditional sort of understanding of the picture, of the dream, but Daniel's point is this. Each will have its day, and each will go. So I don't know the last time you met a Babylonian. Anyone know any Babylonians? The Greeks had their day. The Romans had their day. The Mongols had their day. The British Empire had its day. These empires, they come 
and they go. But God's kingdom will be established. There's one kingdom. One kingdom that's not made of man. One kingdom that doesn't focus on power or bloodshed. One kingdom that is holy, we sung about earlier. One kingdom that is other. One kingdom that is insignificant when you compare it to the might of the Romans or the might of the Greeks or the Medo-Persians or even the Babylonians. One kingdom, a little stone, that hits the feet of the statue. Completely insignificant. Little stone. Look at this incredible golden head and silver chair. Little stone. And then boom. Iron. Clay, bronze, silver, gold. All these incredibly impressive, stable, permanent-looking things blown away by the wind like a dandelion. One tiny stone. It's a baby born in a manger. Yes. It's the gospel. It's the kingdom of God impacting the earth, impacting that foot as a baby born in a manger. The life, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus. It is the gospel. It's it's the stone that the builders have rejected that then becomes the cornerstone. And so Jesus' message as he, as he walked on earth was often about the kingdom of God. And he'd often say, the kingdom of God is near. And you start thinking, well, that sounds nice, but I don't really know what it means. And then you open Daniel, you, Daniel 2 and you see as this stone, the kingdom of God, as it impacts the foot of the statue. And suddenly it becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth. Suddenly this picture of the kingdom of God takes on a whole new meaning. It's incredible. The kingdom of God is near in this context is powerful. And for Daniel, this is this is great news. It gives him hope in a situation that would feel very, very hopeless. In a situation that would look very, very permanent to who he is. He's in a palace full of guards and wise men and gold and silver and king and wisdom, all that sort of stuff. It looks like he doesn't have any hope. But then he gets incredible hope because he realizes that permanence is just an illusion. Like gold and power and palace and wise men, all impressive, but all just made out of snow. All just like lovely Selma. They're not going to be around for much longer. They have a time limit. They're not sensible things to put hope in. And so there's a great question that the book of Daniel sort of poses to us, and it's the question about motivation. We spoke about this a bit in chapter one. Like what motivates us to live for Jesus? Because living as a Christian is hard. What motivates us to come to church? What motivates us not just to come to church on a Sunday, but, but live in community, lay our lives bare for one another, share weaknesses with each other? What motivates us to do that? Because everything else is temporary. The kingdom of God is going to go on forever. And so we invest in that. 
We invest in that. That is what motivates us. Health comes and goes. There's people here who aren't here today because they're sick at the moment. We can't put our hope in health. Wealth comes and go. We, we, we can't put our hopes in that. They, can't, they just can't motivate us. Power comes, it goes. Careers, they come and they go. We can't ask those things to motivate us because they're not worth anything, really. They're just like snow, they'll go. If you've ever bought a new iPhone, you'll know that. For about a month, they're like new, and then it's like, right, I need to start saving up for the next one next year. Any bit of technology is like that, right? Do I buy the one this year, or do I wait just a couple of months, and then it's like this never-ending circle? But that's because things are temporary. Permanence is just an illusion. All these things are snowmen. They're not sensible to invest in. Investing in the kingdom of God is a wise choice. It's a good choice. It's a good investment, because it is permanent. And it doesn't mean, and it's important to say, it doesn't mean that it's not nice to have nice phone and stuff like that, or house or whatever. It's all, it's all good. It's nice stuff. That's fine. But as soon as we start putting our hope in it, as soon as we start putting our hope in that above anything else, that's when it becomes a problem. When we say, okay, well, our career is actually the most important. Our, our, our church, is, it's, church is great. It's a good hobby. But it's really my career is where it's at. That's when you're walking on dangerous ground. Church is a nice hobby, but really, my house is all about my house. If those people come in my house and mess my house up, we're in dangerous ground. So important that we we see what our motivations, we see the motivations of the kingdom of God. So the king's dream, it, it brings hope to Daniel in his situation. I want to encourage you that the king's dream can bring hope to us. Because whatever we see around us, we belong to a different kingdom. And so that means in times of challenge, we belong to a different kingdom. It means when things aren't easy, we belong to a different kingdom. And it gives us hope. We're a kingdom people, and that changes everything. Changes the way we think about life. It changes, for example, our motivations, as we've spoken about. It changes how we think about money and power and friends and wisdom and personal fulfillment according to the world's uh, stands. It changes those because we know they're all just temporary. They're not going to last. So it changes our motivations. It changes how, how we live. Daniel was this incredibly humble guy. Yet kingdoms and powers, they're often built on pride and sort of being the best. Yet actually the kingdom of God, there's no space in the kingdom of God for pride. There isn't. It's crazy because it's all gift. If you're going to be proud, the only thing you can be proud in is the gift giver. As there's no space for pride in the kingdom of God. And so it changes how we live. We become a humble people because we're not of this kingdom. We're of the kingdom of God. And so the disciples, they say, don't they, uh, Jesus, like, who's the greatest in the kingdom? Come on. And Jesus is looking around. He's like, bring me that kid. If you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, that's who you need to be like. Incredible humility. 
so different. It's, it's a kingdom not cut from the hand of a man, but cut from a hand of something of God. And it means it looks different. So it means that as at, when we're at work and as people are boasting, now we've become a people who are humble, like a child. That's who Jesus is calling us to be. It changes our expectations, being a people of the kingdom of God. We suddenly can see things with a different viewpoint because we have access through Jesus' blood to a sovereign God. And that changes your expectations. It changes the way you look at things. You don't need to say, okay, well, I need to fix this. I need to work this out. I need to be better. I need to get, like, pay more. I need to train harder. I need to do this. I need to do that. It changes your expectations because suddenly, in an impossible situation, you realize you have a God who is able to make a way through impossible situations. A God who is able to speak and give a young guy a dream of a king and the interpretation. And so... As we go through challenging, uh, challenging times, again, you, you, you can have a new expectation because of God. Because suddenly we don't just need to rest on our own strength, but we rest on the strength and the sovereignty of a God who can change situations. What a privilege. What a privilege to be part of the kingdom of God. What, what hope we have that actually... God is sovereign. God is on the throne. He can change everything. And so as we land, I really want to encourage you, and Al touched on this last week as well. Jeremiah 29, which we all know very well. For the, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper. It, it, it is spoken into this, into this setting. And just before the 29 verse 11, Jeremiah encourages the Israelites, he encourages the people to plant, to settle to build, to eat, to seek the peace, to seek the prosperity of the city. The city. Friends, we seek the prosperity of Gothenburg. We seek the peace of Gothenburg. We build, we settle, we eat, we grow lovely gardens, don't we, Linus? We do all that stuff, absolutely. But we don't find our hope in it. We don't find our... Hope in how nice our garden is, how big our house is. We understand that this is not our home. We understand that we belong elsewhere. We understand that actually we're exiles here. We're passing through. We're a kingdom people. Hebrews 11 has this incredible list of the heroes of faith. By faith, they conquered. By faith, they did. By faith, by faith, by faith. I love um, Hebrews 11, chapter, um, Hebrews 11, verse, where are we? Eight, uh, just talking very briefly about Abraham. And it says this, I can find it. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive. As an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. By faith, he stepped out, he left, he went, he followed Jesus. Why? Because he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He was able to step out 
because he was looking forward. He was motivated by a city whose foundations and design was of God. He was looking to something greater. He wasn't happy with just, like, he wasn't like, okay, I'm kind of like, materially, I'm actually okay here. I'm just happy. No, he's looking forward to something greater. And that motivates him. And friends, as we live life, what, what, what motivates us? I want to encourage you, look forward and look into something greater. God has called us into his kingdom. As Clayton so helpfully read out, through Jesus, he is the way, the truth, the life. We have been brought into the kingdom. This baby born in a manger, this little stone that is going to be. And we look forward to one day that kingdom being consummated, fully consummated, that means fully coming, where there will be no more tears, there will be no more pain, where the king steps down and wipes away every tear. That's what we're looking forward to. And that encourages us, that motivates us to live a life that is passionate about God, passionate about the church, even in times that are difficult. Can I ask us to stand? We're going uh, we're gonna to worship, we're going to take communion. Uh, and I'll explain that in a minute. I just, I just as I was uh, preparing this week, I really felt uh, that God would want to perhaps encourage one or two of us, perhaps a few more, um, that uh, people who feel perhaps you're a little bit insignificant, uh, that you're, like, what you're doing is, is just it's like a little stone. It, you can't see it. It's not impressive. It's why. Why even do it? And I feel that God would just want to encourage you and say that little stone can have a big impact. And I'd, I would love, if, if that's you, to, I'd love to be able to, at the end, perhaps pray for you. Uh, because I think it's so important that actually every one of us, God has given each of us little spheres, and it may feel small. But I really just want to pray that God will actually blow on it, that you will understand that what you're doing isn't small, but there's big impact. Um, but we're going to worship. We're, gonna, we're just going to sing a song together, and then I will get back and we'll lead into, into communion after that. Mm-hmm.